we want to, whatever we do, God, uh, we want to glorify and bless your name. And so I ask, God, Lord, that you would help us to do that uh, this morning, that uh, we would be able to submit our lives to you and so that we could be a blessing to you and a blessing to others, God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get situated here. All right. So good morning, Lighthouse. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Get this here. All right. Okay. All right, so let me just start off um, today's message with a question. How many of you guys are fans or you've been watching the TV series, This Is Us? Whoa, that's a lot more than last service. Last service was like only four people that said that they've been watching. So that, that's a decent amount that you have been watching this show. And I actually just started watching the show in preparation for this message. Um, for a while, I've been holding back from watching it because I've heard that once you start watching the show, like you just start crying and bawling all the time. And I was like, you know, I don't want to watch a show that gets me all depressed or sad or like makes me less manly or something. But I... I I relented and I said, okay, I'm going to watch this show. And so I just started watching the show with my wife, Ashley. And I'm going to admit, it's a, it's a pretty good show. It's a really good show. And I know some of you might be wondering, okay, why do we name our Ephesians series, message series on This Is Us, right? Uh, in the summer, when the pastors got together, we were discussing what do we want to teach on for the fall. And we knew that we wanted to teach on Ephesians. And Pastor Rain really felt like it would be important for us to, to learn from the Ephesians because it would teach us as a church what it means to have our identity in Christ. But also as a community, what could it look like when we all understood and fully comprehended the, 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 the truth that we are all sons and daughters uh, in God, right? So if we knew all of that, how could that help us? And so as we were thinking about maybe cool message series titles, we brainstormed, we threw different things out there. We had some really bland ones. We had one that was just like community. And I was like, okay, it's pretty straightforward. But we we're like, yeah, let's, go, let's do something that's a little different. And then we had some weird ones came out and, and such. But finally, we got to a point where the one that stuck is, of course, This Is Us. And we realized This Is Us, yes, is a popular new TV show, but it is a show that addresses this topic of community, family, and relationships. So if you're unfamiliar with the series, let me, let me tell you about it, okay? The show revolves around the lives of these three siblings, Kate, Kevin, and Randall. And so Kate and Kevin were originally part of a triplet pregnancy. Their due date was supposed to be August, I mean, October 12, 1980, but they were born six weeks early on August 31st, and as they were being born, there were some complications. So Kate and Kevin survived the birth, but their biological brother didn't make it. He was a stillborn. And their parents, Jack and Rebecca, having expected to, to bring home three babies, and they were, they were kind of really sad about it, but out of sheer coincidence, they decide to adopt another newborn, his name was Randall, and he was a black child born on that same day and brought to the same hospital after his biological father abandoned him at a fire station. And so on that day, Kate, Kevin, and Randall are brought home together, and they live the rest of their lives as siblings and as a family. 
And the show then follows them as they've grown up and how, you know, their own lives continue to move forward. And the present day shows them as 36-year-olds with their own share of struggles. Kate is someone who's dealing with her weight, and she's always struggling with trying to lose the weight. And because of that issue, she has this low sense of self-esteem. And so she's really depressed about herself and her weight. Kevin, the brother, is actually a B-list actor who makes it uh, as this actor on this show called The Manny, which is supposed to be Man Nanny, and so it's like this comedy show. But then he, for him, he feels like his, his life is empty because he takes on this role that all they care about is for him to just take off his shirt and show his abs and to look nice. And so he feels like, oh, that, that's not what I was call, you know, called to do. And so he kind of struggles with his significance. And then there's Randall, who still struggles with this, this day of trying to make amends with his biological father who abandoned him. And so the show tries to display how life is often difficult. We go through our ups and downs, and, and the joyful moments come as well, and then these difficult ones come as well. But throughout the show, we see how this family is able to support one another, stick up for each other, and work through some of these difficult times. And the show really tries to illustrate that, that relationship, community, and family are so important, right? Life isn't simple or easy. Life often throws a lot of things at you. And sometimes the only way that you can get through that is because of the relationships you have. But it doesn't mean that the relationships are easy as well. We realize that actually relationships are, are messy too. And we see it in the show as there's a lot of struggles even with the, the, the relationships that they have with each other. But I was thinking about it, as I was watching the show, I was like, wow, that is, it, that's pretty good. It sums up a lot of what's actually happening in Ephesians. And so, This Is Us is a pretty good fitting tagline for our series. The last several weeks, we've been journeying through the first three chapters of Ephesians. And in those first three chapters, Paul was detailing what it looks like to fully have our identity in Christ. That with Christ, we have a new calling, a new purpose, a new identity, and a new confidence in Him. If you missed any of the previous messages, you know, you're going to want to go back and listen to them because there's a lot of good stuff that, that was out of that. And so if you want to do that, you can go ahead and listen to it on our website. It's all up there. But this week, we turn over to chapter 4, where Paul begins to be a little bit more practical in his teaching. And he's beginning to teach what does it mean to become a community in Christ. Paul begins to talk about how, as a body of believers, how can we become like a family? And so we're going to dive right into the scriptures and see what Paul has to say about this identity of being a community of believers. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16, and that's going to be our text. You can either look up onto the screen, or you can just pull it up on your smartphone as well. But let me read it for us. Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From the Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Could you just bow your heads for a quick moment of prayer? Lord, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you again for the ways in which your, your word is transformative and, and there's power in, in the words that you give us, God. And so we ask, God, Lord, that you would just open up our ears, open up our hearts and our minds so that, uh, yeah, that we would be attentive and receptive uh, to hear what it is that you want to speak into our lives, God. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength uh, to, to really act on whatever challenges that you're giving us or whatever next steps that you, 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 you challenge us towards, God. And we pray, Lord, that, yeah, that, Lord, that we would be uh, able to be transformed by you and more and more into your likeness, God. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to give you a little bit of a refresher on, on our passage, okay, so this is the middle chapter of the letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Ephesus. And, and usually, if, if you know a lot of Bible you know, trivia or context and stuff, you know, usually when Paul writes a letter to a church community, there, there's a lot of times where he's addressing like a problem. There's an issue that ha has, you know, risen in, in the community or there's maybe some theological thing that, that's wrong and so there's heresy that's going around and usually Paul is trying to address those things. But in, in actually the, the letter to the, the Ephesians, there, there isn't necessarily a big blatant problem that's happening. Instead, he's actually going in and he's encouraging them. He, he's teaching them a little bit more, getting them more grounded in this theological logical truth of the gospel. But he's trying to con how, allow them to continue in their own spiritual maturity. And so with that, Paul encourages them how they can fully live out as a community of believers. And above all things, Paul's teaching them how they can be united as one body, but a community that really takes care of one another. See, before this particular chapter, Paul is letting the believers in Ephesus know what their identity is as followers of Christ. So in chapter 1, all the way back there, right, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul is saying that before the world even began, before the foundations of this world were created, God knew who you were. He knew every little detail about you. But not only that, God also chose you all as children of God. He, he wanted all of us to experience His love in our lives. Paul goes on in verse 7 and says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so not only are we in God's plans of being chosen, we are also people that have been redeemed. 
that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven and set free from the bondages of this world. We're no longer people marked by guilt and sin, but now we are a redeemed people who have become heirs with Christ. And so as heirs with Christ, we now know that we inherit the the beautiful riches of the kingdom of God. And that's the identity that Paul is telling God's people. And he goes on and on and on in the preceding verses, and we've been hearing about this in the previous messages as well. And then we finally get to chapter 4, where now knowing our identities as followers of Christ, then what are we to do now? How can we go about living in a vibrant life in a vibrant community? There's an African proverb that states, it takes a village to raise a child. And what this proverb is getting at is that it takes a community that's so dependent on one another for a child to be rightly taken care of. That in raising the life of just one child, it requires the whole intertwined community that works with each other, encouraging one another, supporting each other in every facet. I know from firsthand experience, it it took far more than myself and my wife to really take care of my daughters as infants. And I'm experiencing that once again as my third daughter, Audrey, is a little infant right now. And I realize I need all the help I can get and really taking care of this child. But I also realize that time and time again that I still need the help of my friends and family in helping me best raise up my daughters into the identity that God has laid out for them as well. God calls us to be a community that would reflect a village or a faith village that really relies on one another in the building of the community in the kingdom of God. See, we want to be a faith village here at Lighthouse, a place where you can genuinely call family, a place where you know that you don't walk alone, but that you have a village that surrounds you, supports you, and encourages you to grow. See, in today's world, we tend to live lives that are quite individualistic. We're only concerned about ourselves, our own immediate family. We we try to protect ourselves by maybe blocking out outside influences, but we were never meant to live alone. We were meant to live in community with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the church is called to be a faith village where we come together as one. My wife, Ashley, grew up in a small immigrant church community in Chinatown of New York City. And I remember when I first went to visit her church while we were probably in the early stages of our dating relationship, and, and as I, and I went to her church, I was meeting all these different people at her church, and she would introduce everyone as either her auntie or, or uncle. And I thought to myself, wow, this, this, she has a huge family. Like, it seems like everyone in this church is, is related to her. They're a family member, like they're, they're her auntie or uncle. And then it didn't dawn on me until a little bit later that that, that was something that she grew up doing. That they, they were actually not blood relatives, but she had grown up calling them auntie, calling them uncle, that, that in a sense they ended up becoming the family to her. They, they actually acted like a family in, the, in that sense. And as I was getting to meet all these different uncles and aunties, each time that I would meet them, they actually would take me aside and they would go to me and they'd say, Abe, I'm glad uh, to, to meet you, but if you ever hurt Ashley or break her heart, I will personally hunt you down. Like, I had that conversation like 30 times. 
And I was like, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. The last person told me that too, okay, okay, right? But as I was meeting her church, I really had the sense that this was really her faith family. And they really understood what it meant to support and care for one another. As a quick aside, so I have three daughters now. And all of you, as part of my faith family, I give you total permission and license to intimidate, scare off any of the boyfriends that my daughters bring to, to church one day, okay? That's just a quick aside. You guys have full permission to do that, okay? But in our passage, Paul is describing how do we get there together as a community? What are the things that we need to do to become a faith village? How can we become this true community of believers? How can we become the church that we've been called to be? And so he starts off in verse 2 with instructions, right? And it says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So I've been someone who was born and raised within the church as well. My father was a senior pastor uh, at the church, and, and I grew up as a pastor's kid. And, and from early on, I had some really good memories of being part of the church, but I also remember a lot of the pain that I experienced being a part of a church as well because I would see the, the hurts and pains of seeing conflicts arise within, within the church. Right? There are plenty of stories where I can tell you about maybe something happened where there was gossiping uh, amongst the community and it led to, to someone's feelings getting hurt. And then this family felt so hurt or, or, or betrayed that they would leave the church. I also see families where maybe someone said a wrong thing and then they would get into this huge conflict and it would divide between families and a bunch of families versus another family. And because of that, that conflict, they would decide, okay, we're, we're, we're going to leave. And so these were, you know, close friends of mine, close families of ours that would leave the church because of some kind of conflict that would take place. I'm sure many of you have felt or experienced this kind of division maybe in church one day or before. Or maybe it's not even actually church relationships, but maybe it's just friends. You see friends getting into conflicts, and because, because of this conflict, they're never able to move past it and, and move towards peace that they end up deciding to just break off the relationship, and the friendship's gone. There's no longer peace. There's no longer unity. And Paul makes this his first point about community, that we need to make every effort to keep the unity. That's his first thing. We need to make every effort to keep the unity because he knows the tendency of how conflicts and divisions can easily occur. When you put a group of people together, doing life together, it's, it's only a matter of time where people will rub each other the wrong way and, and they get to a point where they have a conflict. But Paul commands, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. The phrase bearing with one another can also be said as putting up with each other. For true community to happen, it requires that we stay patient with each other, putting up with each other's faults. Here at Lighthouse, we say that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church where everyone is welcome. But we also recognize that we're all broken in some way. We're all in some way or form messed up, that we're broken together. And so when you come into this church, we, we bring our own baggage with our own messy lives, and when you join together broken people, you, you'll, you're bound to see conflicts, irritations, annoyances occur. Right? 
But when we can become a community that accepts each other with our brokenness and works through those different conflicts, we'll be able to experience an even deeper sense of bond and of unity. In some ways, these relationships can be related to a marriage bond. So I I just did a wedding a few weeks back for a couple here at, at Lighthouse. And it was, a, it was a beautiful ceremony. And it was, uh, it was actually an outdoor wedding. And the forecast had said that there would be about a 40% chance of rain. And so the, the, night, the day before where we were praying, they were like, oh, hopefully that you know, it doesn't rain and that way we can have the wedding outside. It would be so much easier, so much more beautiful, right? And through God's providence and grace, it all worked out. It rained actually an hour before the ceremony would start and then it stopped raining and then we cleaned off the chairs and everything. And then as the ceremony started, the clouds dispersed, and actually a rainbow formed right at the the end of the ceremony. It was was a really cool sight. But I bring this uh, idea about, about marriages in that most couples, when they go into marriage, they often have maybe a very unrealistic idea of what marriage is going to be like. This isn't all couples, but I I tend to met with a lot of couples that they have this very naive approach to marriage, and they think that once they get married, it's going to be all rainbows and sunshine, happiness and bliss, right? And in which it should be, we want, you know, married couples to experience that. But a lot of times, couples only look forward to these blissful times. They they don't really look forward to the the trials and the hardships that they might face. But the reality is is that most marriages will experience these trials. They will experience these times where it will be difficult with one another. Most couples that have been married for quite a long time will easily tell you that, yeah, marriage isn't just easy. It's not just fun and, and always happy all the time. There are times where they do go through these trials, they do fight with their spouse, and there are parts where, where they have a really hard time. But the beauty is when married couples can work through their differences, remain steadfast in, in, their, in their commitment to each other, and be patient with one another. And so married couples that have been to we want a long time, they, they understand and they accept the good and the bad. But they'll tell you that their bond only grew deeper and more true because they had to experience all those things together. When they're able to bear with one another, be patient with one another, be humble and gentle to each other, that's when their relationship really grew and thrived. In the same way with the relationships in in the church, we're called and challenged to be humble, to be patient, to be gentle, to bear with one another in love. And so maybe for some of you, you've come to church this morning and you have some bitterness, bitterness to someone here in this church. They've said something that has hurt you in the past and you say to yourself, man, I can't stand that person. That's why I don't want to be in the same room as that person. So that's why I go to second service because they go to first service. So I don't want to even see them. But maybe God's calling you to make amends with that person to forgive them even before they even understand that they might have hurt you. Maybe it requires for you to actually go and talk to them, to share your heart with them, share that how they might have hurt you, and decide today that you will release them from that bitterness and you will learn to to be able to reconcile and to restore that relationship. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that before you give offerings to God, that you would reconcile with a brother and sister. 
where there's broken relationships that you would reconcile with them. And maybe that's the one thing that, that's holding you back from truly experiencing true community. So the challenge might be for you to seek reconciliation. Allow God's community to take form. Paul tasks us with this challenge to make every effort to keep the unity. The second point in which Paul points out for each of us to experience true community is that we need to challenge one another to keep growing. Paul challenges the church in Ephesus that they would no longer be infants. Verse 14 says this, Infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. In other words, Paul is exhorting the church to be a community that isn't easily deterred or swayed by the teaching of what the world or the culture tells us. The culture and world tells us maybe this is the way that you become happy or this is how you should approach relationships, right? This is how you should live your life. This is how you receive significance. But Paul is explaining that as, as infants and babies, we often may listen to what the world says and we get swayed this way or that way, dependent on what the world says to us. Instead, what Paul is challenging us is that we become more founded in what God has to say about these particular issues and that we stand together in community against the lies that the world gives us. And when we do that, we will no longer be infants. It says that we will grow up. Paul goes on in verse 15 that we should speak truth in love with one another. And it's a phrase that maybe many of you have heard before. Usually maybe we might interpret it as maybe it's better to, to tell the truth and to lie, or maybe you should always make, speak up your mind. I don't, I don't know what it might mean for you. But in this way, Paul is using this phrase is that, is that as brothers and sisters in a community, we need to be able to speak truth, truth that's founded on the Word of God, right? But truth that is also able to allow us to speak into a fellow brother or sister's life, wanting them to grow in their spiritual maturity, wanting them to grow in their character as they follow Jesus, Sometimes we may see a friend doing something that is just hurting themselves, and yet we're not willing to speak to them, letting them know the truth, and in that, caring for them and loving them. I actually have a funny situation where I really could have used my friends to, to speak truth into my life. Okay? Uh, a few years back, this actually it was about 10 years back, I went to visit my parents in Korea. My parents live in Korea, and it's always a good time whenever I visit my parents to go, you know, spend time with them, but then also I love being able to eat some really good Korean food, and, and you know, food is a lot cheaper there, so it's just awesome to, to be there. But another thing that's actually cheaper in Korea is, I don't know if you knew this, but there's, off, there's a lot of these beauty clinics, and so they have these, these different things that you could do, but one of them was that you can actually remove your sunspots or uh, chums, as they call it in Korean, or, or moles, and, and remove it pretty, pretty cheaply, right? And so uh, I was there in Korea, and, and my, mom, my mother's like, you know, why don't you get, you have, you have a lot of those sunspots, a lot of those moles on your face, why don't you get them removed? And I was like, all right, I might as well, I'm, I'm in Korea, I might as well do it. And so I agreed, I, I went to the clinic, and they go, and essentially what they do is they take a laser, and they just burn off the top part of your skin where your, your mole is or your, your, your sunspot is. 
It's pretty disgusting, actually. But I ended, that day, I ended up doing like 14, 15 of them off, off my face. And after they, they burn it off, they go and they give you this clear little bandage, right? And like a circular bandage, and they just put it on your face. And so I had like 14, 15 of them all over my face, okay? But you actually can't really see them, you know, from far away. You can only kind of notice them if you come really close. So it was, pretty, it was a pretty cool job. But anyways, on that particular day, a couple of my friends from college that I knew uh, had invited me to go out and watch a movie with them. And I only had a limited amount of days still in Korea, and I thought, you know what, I, I might as well go, right? I might as well go see and hang out with them. And so I decided I'd go. I, I didn't realize yet when I went that they had invited their whole church to come too. So there was about like 20, 20 or so strangers that I've never met before. But I was like, you know what? It's okay. It's like, I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's fine. Like, let's just have fun, watch the movie. And so we go, we watch the movie. And then after the movie's done, we, we did what a lot of young people do. We, we loitered around, trying to figure out what are we going to do next, right? So we're at the movie theater. We're all standing around. And then this was the moment in which uh, I got to, you know, be able to meet some of the, the friends that, that my college friends had. And so I'm going, and it's like 20 people. We're all like just in group, little groups all around, and I'm meeting some people. And then in the corner of my eye, I look, and there's a group of these three girls, and they're staring at me. So then I'm like looking back at them, and then every time I look their direction, they would kind of turn away like, mm, right? And then I go talk to someone else, and then I see in the corner of my eye, they're still staring at me. And so then I started thinking to myself, and I was like, wow, I think those girls are checking me out. Right? And I was like, are they really checking me out? And then I'd talk, talk, and I'd see them, and they'd still be staring at me. So I'm like, they're definitely checking me out. Like, totally checking me out. So then I go around, I'm meeting other people and talking, and I finally get to those three girls, and I start to introduce myself, and they're just like staring at my face. Like, it looks like they're like captivated. And I'm like, wow, I'm so handsome that they're like, they're just like falling in love with me as I, as I speak. Right? And I'm like getting this really big head and I'm like feeling good about myself. We ended up at that night, we we're like, you know, let's call it quits. We're just going to go home. And so we're like, okay, let, let's go home. And so I'm, I'm walking back to my, my parents' apartment and all the while I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I am so cool. Girls are checking me out. And I was dating my, my wife, Ashley, at the time and I was like, I'm going to give her a call and tell her, you are so lucky that, that you're dating me, right? I finally get to, to my, my parents' apartment, and as you walk in, there's a mirror that stands right in front of there. I look at the mirror, and to my horror, I realize why those girls were staring at me. I looked at my face, and what had happened were three of my sunspots that had been removed had started bleeding, and then streaks of blood have come, had come down from my face and then had dried up. So I had three streaks of blood all on my face, dried up, and then that was the reason why they were staring at me. They weren't checking me out. They were just in horror, like, what is wrong with this guy? He looks like some crazy killer or something. What is... And in that moment, I was like, I got upset because I was like, how come my friends never said anything? <laughs> They're my friends. Shouldn't they have told me, like, hey, you might want to go to the bathroom, Abe. You have, like, blood all over your face. But no one said anything. You know, I could have really used for them to speak truth in love to my life. But all kidding aside, Paul is actually calling us to do just that. 
Speak truth in love to one another, building each other and challenging each other, right? Warning us maybe when, when something is going wrong, right? When you see a friend doing something that they're going to experience pain, right? Then instead of being quiet, right, that we actually say something so they, they don't have to endure the pain that comes with it. We have brothers and sisters that are maybe going on a path where they're becoming maybe addicted to various things, whether it be addicted to, to alcohol or to drugs or, or, or to, to materialism or consumerism, and yet we're too afraid to, to say a word. Or someone close to you is maybe just starting to be in a relationship, but it, the relationship isn't really working out. You're, you're starting to see signs of unhealthiness, but instead of saying anything, we remain silent. We say, oh, let, let them just work it out but we realize they're walking into danger and we just, we stay silent. Or some of us might have friends that might be in a dating relationship and they're not married yet, but yet they're, they're living together or they're sleeping with one another. And as they're friends, we just say, you know, that's not any of my business. I'm not going to say a word. Or we have friends maybe that are starting to, maybe you're in high school or you're in college and you have friends that are hanging out with the wrong, wrong group of people. And, and instead of saying anything, we say, you know what? They can choose whatever they want to do. We, we don't want to speak up. And when we don't speak up, we're acting without love. For us to become a faith village, it requires that we get in each other's business. Not so that we can go and gossip about what someone is doing, nor is it to, to point a finger and say, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're not being good or they're not being holy, they're, they're being so unrighteous and to be judgmental. That's not the point of that. The key component of this command is that we speak into each other's lives because we have a deep sense of love for them. Many of you would easily say that if you saw a friend blindfolded, walking straight for a cliff, you would do something to stop them. You would yell for them to stop. You would, you would run after them. You would grab them before they fell. But when it actually happens in this other scenario, we often we decide it's just not our business. Let's not do anything. But to live as a faith village, it means that we sometimes need to get in each other's business, to encourage each other and to challenge one another to growth. Because out of love for one another, we want our fellow brothers and sisters to grow in maturity as followers of Christ. For some of us, we don't often want to speak the truth in love about talking about the gospel. We have friends and family that they may not be believers, but we don't want to say anything to them about the gospel because in a fear that it might make things awkward. I saw this quote from uh, this famous magician who's famously known as an atheist, and his name is Penn Gillette, and he's from the, the, the famous Las Vegas show Penn and Teller. He's the, he's the taller one that, and the, the one that speaks, and Teller's the one that doesn't speak at all. But he says this in this video blog that he had. And he said this, I don't respect Christians that don't proselytize. I, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that a truck was going to hit you and you didn't believe it, and the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. 
And this is more important than that. And he's got a point. If we love someone dearly, but we don't want to share the greatest truth of the gospel, then how can we say that we truly love them? It's a worthy question to ask ourselves. But Paul's second point is this. If you want to experience true community together and to be a church that God has called us to be, we need to begin to speak the truth in love to one another's lives and challenge each other towards growth. The last and final point that Paul makes about community, you know, in order to, to maintain the unity with one another, we need to build up the body of Christ by valuing each other. Paul uses the analogy of a body to describe the community or the church of believers. In verse 16, it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. See, as you look at your own physical body, you realize how intricate your body is, but how much where there's all these different parts that are playing a role in your body for that you to, to, to live. And Paul uses that analogy for, for the church as well to explain that there are all these different roles within the church that have been given to the church and everyone has a certain role and everyone is valuable. It says some were to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, all to equip and to prepare God's people. Many of you might actually read this and think, okay, so if God doesn't call me to be an evangelist or God doesn't call me to be a pastor, that means I'm off the hook. No, that, that's, that's not what it's saying. It says in verse, the first verse of this chapter, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So we're all, we've all received a calling as followers of Christ. And even if we're not called to be one of those roles that Paul talks about later in this chapter, we're still called to serve and to be part of this important community. We're called to build up this body of Christ. Every person plays a role in the body of Christ and everyone is important and needs to see how they continually add to the community. But with that, we need to recognize and see that each person within this community does play an important valued role, right? even the least of these. Just looking at ministries here at Lighthouse the, the, and the people that are serving this church, one of the most overlooked ministries is set up and strike. Right? This is a group of people for the setup team who come up, come early in the morning to, to set up the church, put all the chairs in their place, bring, take out the heavy equipment from the truck, load it up to the stage, do all these different things so that we could be able to have worship together. Right? And then the strike team, they're the ones that stay late. While everyone has gone off to eat lunch, they're the ones that stay behind to go and put everything back into the truck like it's a game of Tetris, and they do all of that so that we could be ready for the following Sunday. They're, they're, it's not the most glamorous role, but it's one of the most important groups of people serving this church. They might not have the more glamorous roles of maybe being a great singer on the worship team or a great small group leader or a Bible study teacher, right? But yet, their role is important and valuable. We're all in this together and we need to value each other. But we also need to do our part in maintaining this community. Same way goes for here at Lighthouse. That each is given a role within the church. Each is given a certain part of being the body. And so we all need to work together and maintain the unity amongst us. 
Each person is valued and should be seen as important. That's what it means for us to maintain the unity together. We need to work together, rely on one another, challenge each other, encourage each other to grow and to walk together through it all. And when we can do that, it becomes a beautiful picture of God's love for the church as we love and care for one another in the name of Jesus. There's an old story about a man who receives a vision about heaven and hell. And you might have heard this story before. But there was this man who was having a conversation with God one day. And he said, Lord, I would like to know what heaven and hell are like. So God says, okay, I'll I'll show you. And so God led this man to two doors. He opened the the first door, and, and the man looks in. And it's this big room, and in the middle of the room is this large round table. And in the middle of that table is a large pot of stew, which smelled delicious. And it made the man's mouth water, and he was like, wow, that, that smells so good, right? And then he looks around the table, and he sees all these people sitting around that table, and they were all thin and sickly. They appeared to be famished, and they were, looked like they were starving, and they were holding spoons with, their, with these very long handles, really long handles, and it was strapped to their arms. And each found it possible to go in and reach for this pot of stew, take a spoonful, but when they tried to go back to feed themselves, the, the spoon was so long that it wouldn't get to their mouth. Right? And so they're, they're struggling and trying to do that. And so this man looks at that sight and he goes, wow, that's, that's horrible. That, that looks terrible. And he's like, this, this must be must be hell. And so God says, yeah, you're right. Let me show you the other room. So they go to the, end of the next room and they open the door and it's exactly almost like the first one. There's this large round table with, with a large pot of stew, which again makes the, the, the man's mouth water and he's smelling and he's like, wow, this is delicious, right? The people are all standing around there. They're all equipped with those same long spoons as well on their arms. But here he looks at them and they're all well-nourished. They're plump. They're laughing. They're talking. They're, they're, they're laughing all together. And, and the man's like, what, what's, what's the difference? What's going on here? Right? I don't understand. And then God says, it's simple. It requires but just one skill. You see, they have learned to feed each other while the greedy think only of themselves. They were able then to go and feed the person across from them or nearby them instead of only caring about themselves. And that was supposed to be a glimpse of what heaven is to be like. See, for Lighthouse, we want to be a community that becomes a glimpse of heaven, of what it's to be like. A faith village that shares in each other's pains and joys. We want to be a community where people can come without pretending to be someone they're not, but a community where all are accepted and welcomed. We want to be a community that strives to walk with each other, that depends on one another and challenges each other to grow in our identity as followers of Christ. I want to go back to to verse 3 really quickly. Paul says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What's interesting about this verse is that Paul isn't saying that we are supposed to achieve unity on our own. As in we are tasked with the responsibility of becoming unified ourselves with our own strength. No, that's not what Paul is saying. 
Instead, he's saying that the unity that we have has already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. So Paul is stating that we are already unified together as a church because Christ accomplished that. But the task then is that we are challenged to make every effort to keep the unity together. Keeping the unity because it was something that was already made done. Ultimately, our unity together is a pointer to the power that allows us to be unified in the first place. And that pointer is to the cross, where Jesus laid down his life for the body of believers. That Jesus Christ, who was blameless and without sin, came to this earth to unite us with God. That Christ died on the cross, taking away all dividing walls, all divisions among us, and whatever dividing wall that separated us from God and, and his people. Christ tore all these down, and in his death and resurrection, he gave us the power to be unified together. And that as a people of God, we were created so that we would allow community to take place. And we're not doing it on our own strength. We don't gather together because we're some kind of social club or some country club that just likes each other and we think of it as like a hobby or something. No, we are called to be the church that is unified together. That this church could be a place where people from all different backgrounds would be able to come. People from whatever different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes, different stages of faith, different generations. That whatever it might be, that we can all come together and know that we are united, not by our own power, but by the power and love of Jesus Christ. And when we can recognize and embrace the power of Christ that binds us together as one body, one church, one faith village, the world will take notice. As Christ laid down his life to give this body life, we become Christ's hands and feet to the broken world around us. And as we serve the community of believers that depend on one another and we're united as one, we can become a community that welcomes the lost and the hurting. Lighthouse, let us become a faith village that cares for one another in such a beautiful way that it becomes a glimpse of heaven here on earth. A beautiful and radiant community welcoming all to the family of God. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask if you could maybe rise. I want to just say a prayer over us. Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you tore down every dividing wall that whatever separated us from you, God, Lord, you tore it down, but you also tore down all the dividing walls that have been built up maybe on our own doing or that have divided each of us from one another and have thwarted our ability to, to be united to each other, God. But I pray, God, Lord, that you would allow us to, to really live under the, the power and the authority that you have given us to become the church and to be united as one. I pray, Lord, for those here that, um, that might be harboring any kind of bitterness to someone else within this church or even outside this church, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength and the courage to, uh, 
to take the first step in, in reconciling with that person and really offering forgiveness where, where there was hurt. I pray also, Lord, for your strength and courage to be upon people here within this church that have maybe know of a friend that, that is walking in a, in a path that is leading towards hurt and pain. But I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage to really be able to speak truth in love, that they would be able to encourage and challenge uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, God. But Lord, I ask, God, Lord, that you would strengthen all of us, Lord, to to value one another, to love one another in the way, Lord, that it really gives a glimpse of what heaven is like. Thank you again for uniting our church together, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to continue to maintain that unity together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.